welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be talking about Shea Gilgis Alexander and his ascension. We've really seen all of this first 30% of the regular season, kind of where he shakes out in terms of like the all-star landscape as well and where he could be on a most improved player of the year ballot. In addition to that, I also just want to break down what the team has looked like as of late. Kind of just my big takeaways. Darius Baisley has been out of the rotation for the last two nights. I also want to touch up on some of the guys we have seen in an OKC blue uniform in the past couple of weeks and how they could potentially slide back in once they are back from assignment. Looking at this Thunder squad right now, they are currently boasting an 11-14 and record. They put themselves somewhat in the hunt of a play-in seed. They are 12th in the Western Conference right now, trailing by two games to the Golden State Warriors at that 10 seed. That's where they could sneak in. At least that's where it would start out. And then if you're going to go look at the ping pong balls, you're looking at the back end of the lottery as of right now. But this is clearly a different team from a season ago. OKC still runs their offense the same way. They run it through Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It's been that way the last three seasons. Obviously, injuries kind of derailed the back end of both of last two seasons because he could not play. Um, But to open the year, yeah, a lot of the offense was orchestrated through him. This is the third consecutive season. Now OKC has started to put a bit more puzzle pieces together, but also he has made a major leap this year. As of right now, the averages speak for themselves. 31.1 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 6 assists, and he's doing it while shooting 50% from the floor. These are ridiculous numbers. When you're looking from distance, he's shooting 32%, but you got to remember, his game is all about attacking the basket. This is probably the biggest change, I would say, from last year to this year. He's basically only going to the basket. This is the lowest three-point attempt clip he's had since his rookie campaign with the Los Angeles Clippers. So there is a clear kind of mindset on how they want to utilize Shea and how they want to utilize that offense. Mark Dagnall saying we need to do that through setting some screens, letting him drive to the basket and kind of operate in his own category there. And he has been able to really spearhead this team to some wins. 17 times this year, SGA has broken that 30-point threshold. He ended up breaking the 40-point club earlier this season as well. And he's been tormenting guys. Simple as that. If you guys are watching Inside the NBA, you already know Charles Barkley has been a big fan of SGA. Really all of (laughs) the opening of this uh, season. I thought it was funny actually, because whenever he was last on, or two times ago, when he first mentioned SGA and said he should be a starter in the All-Star game, I believe he referred to him as um, Shea Gilchrist Alexander, which, that is crazy. Um, Kind of combining Michael Kidd Gilchrist over with SGA, and shout out to Michael Kidd Gilchrist, by the way. I don't know if you guys know this, but... um, He's he's retired now. He's not playing basketball, but he has his own foundation now for people who deal with stuttering because that is a problem he has dealt with. Uh, so he's going around college campuses and kind of advocating for that. So it's really nice to see kind of the impact that 
he's been able to have and kind of the impact that players can have outside of basketball. I think that's something that we don't really look at enough, but MKG, he's doing great things. So is SGA. So is everybody around the NBA. But going to SGA's type of play, I mean, third consecutive season, if you're looking at drives per game, he is right at the top of the board, averaging 24.7 drives per game, points off drives. He's averaging 16.5 points. So over half of his points is coming off of slashing to the basket. And he's also leading the league in passes off of drives as well at 9.1. He's basically in his own club. I would say there are about three guys in the NBA that control the ball as much as SGA. It'd be himself, John Morant, and Luka Doncic. When you're looking at who is scoring the most out of it, it's going to be Shea. But yes, he does have more drives than both of those two as of right now. Now, what has actually changed with this team? You know, you can delve into all the details. Uh, The big thing for me is just how they play from downtown. This was a big gripe last season. They were the second worst team on catch and shoot threes since tracking began. And quite frankly, they are the worst since the modern era of the three, I would say. The Pistons, I think it was in 2013, had the lowest by literally a tenth of a percent, but they only shot 50% of the time. And as we know, you weren't playing basketball that type of way even 10 years ago. A lot more of the mid-range was being used. You actually had p- players going up in the post. Now it's not like that whatsoever. So in the modern era, OKC was almost at rock bottom, but they have been able to kind of build themselves back up. And I chalk it up to two reasons. The first one, obviously, it's because SGA has just been so dominant as a slasher box and one defenses were something that you know the media members were it it was all the rage you know to kind of close the year out because teams are throwing it out at them and you know it, it was one of those deals where no one was really shooting particularly well from distance so that sort of defense is kind of what OKC got caught up in um and this year you know you have seen it in stints um but you know regardless SGA is kind of able to get points however he needs to you know if you're gonna put pressure on him that's fine you know what he's gonna get a trip to the free throw line he's averaging 10 free throw attempts per game right now and looking at the stats he'd become the third player in OKC Thunder franchise history to have such an accolade of 10 or more free throw attempts per game number one in that category Russell Westbrook during his MVP campaign he averaged 10.4 in that stint And then second would be KD in 2009 to 2010 when he was kind of emerging. Everybody was emerging from that group. He averaged 10.2. So he's in very good company in that area. But if he's not getting to the line, he's getting a high quality look off these layups. And he wants to elect to kick the ball out. There's actually viable options now this year. You know, and not to say they there weren't viable options last season because there most definitely were. Isaiah Roby was red hot from distance. Mike Muscala was one of the best catch and shoot bigs in the entire NBA. But there's a lot more consistency, which is what this team sort of needed um, going into this year. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has looked really good. He's shooting about 40% from distance right now. Poku becoming a starter. This was a talk that... You know, it almost seemed like with Chet healthy, Baze or Poku would have had a battle for minutes. Poku has claimed the starting gig right now, and Baze is on the outside looking in. When Poku is playing, 
really high quality basketball and on top of it shooting 38% from distance I think it's safe to say he should have some cushion right now and he has been able to build that up slowly but surely through 22 games for him this year and then other consistent factors like always Kenny Hustle he's shooting mid-30s from distance Mike Muscala hasn't had you know as many appearances but he can always spring up there for you know 12 points in eight minutes and then Isaiah Joe is also somebody you can toss into the equation. Obviously, he's used a little bit differently, but you kind of get the gist. OKC has started to figure things out, and it's just making it a lot smoother, and it's making it easier for SGA to kind of get to his spots and where he needs to be during these games. I don't know if the philosophy has necessarily changed, um, but it's a philosophy that has been very interesting for the last couple of seasons, and because of it, He's now sitting in a position where if you're giving people out all-star ballots, he is going to be written on most of them, if not all of them, at some capacity. If you want to talk about who starts in the games, who doesn't start in the games, you can have that debate. Really, it comes down to whether you pick him or Devin Booker. Booker has had a heck of a run right now with no Chris Paul in action. He's still leading the Suns to a first seed right now out west. But SGA is putting up numbers that we have not seen since Michael Jordan shooting 50% or more from the field with 30 plus points per game. So it is very, very wacky uh, in terms of the numbers here and just how big the stars are out and shining for this 2022 to 23 season. For me though, the thing that I want to look at and the thing I'm curious about with you guys is what you think about the most improved player award. I have discussed this award for the last two seasons. I have had my debates, plenty of them with people And now SGA has risen to the top of the pack in terms of who could be coming home with the most improved player award at the end of the season. So I want to break down his leap, but I also want to talk about kind of my philosophy on these awards and how other voters might view this, you know, award moving forward. Up and coming for the OKC Thunder. They are looking to move right back up to 500 could get on a bit of a hot streak there. If you're thinking you could let that ride out, head over to DraftKings Sportsbook now. If you guys want to check out this offer, you all can. Go right ahead and go download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing along though with SGA, his season, and what the most improved player landscape might look like. I mean, the numbers really do speak for themselves. You know, I normally look at basketball reference to check these stats out. um, And they're amazing. There's so many different things you can do with this uh, with basketball reference. But it's almost comical how big of a jump he has had on the paper here. Going from 24.5 points per game, which is huge. That's all-star caliber. Last two seasons he's been in that conversation. But 24.5 points to 31.1 points where he's top three in the NBA right now in scoring. That's wild. Looking at some of the other stats. 4.7 rebounds. That's right where it was, actually a little lower than it was last season. 
and he's averaging six assists per game, which technically right now is a career high. He's averaged 5.9 the last two seasons. So the big leap is actually in the scoring department, but he has been a big time player. I think the biggest leap has been the gradual progression at the free throw line. He's always been good at getting to the line. Like even when Chris Paul was still hanging around, he averaged five per game, but now he's averaging 10 per game. He's one of four players in the entire league to be averaging that right now. And the only other guys are Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Luka. Like that is a very premier class to be in. And that's just, those are all NBA guys, quite frankly, not just all-stars. Those are all NBA guys that he has kind of entangled himself with all throughout this season. So this is an all-star campaign for him. I expect that he will be on a team. Is he starting who knows? Um, but the big deal is, does he become the front runner for most improved player? And right now I'd say, yes, I think if the season ended today, he probably ends up winning this in a landslide, but I do want to bring the conversation just like how most improved player works, because I always find this interesting. If you have been a longtime supporter of the podcast, you know, I give this story just about every time I mention the Most Improved Player of the Year award because I don't think that it is incorrect in how it goes about things, but I feel like it's not, it's too broad almost because there's so many different ways as a voter you could end up taking this ballot, which I don't really enjoy, you know? And the story that I give is Christian Wood versus Brandon Ingram when Brandon Ingram ended up taking home the Most Improved Player of the Year award, and Christian Wood just had a really good run with the Pistons and then went to go play for the Houston Rockets in the following season. So just kind of breaking things down on how this year ended up going, Brandon Ingram, you know, he emerged. You know, when he got Most Improved Player, it wasn't something that you could be really upset about. He was an all-star He ended up averaging about 24 points per game that year, and you could kind of see the wheels spinning for him. But on the other side, Christian Wood was also a very, very productive player in that season, but he wasn't a former number two pick. He wasn't averaging 18 points per game going into that season. He didn't even really have a home in the NBA going into 2019 to 2020, and his journey is ridiculous. If you guys have not read up on it, if you haven't you know, heard anything about it, I highly suggest you do. I'm sure there's going to be YouTube videos of very high quality you can watch on those. But basically, he really could not find his place in the league the first four seasons that he was hanging around. He ends up going undrafted in 2015. He bounces around multiple different organizations. Philadelphia, during the process, couldn't really keep him around. He played solid, but they didn't keep him goes to play for the Hornets, plays for the Bucks, and it's just him dominating at the G League level, but not getting ample run in the NBA. And I think the one thing about this that was crazy was when he did play, he actually was pretty good. Even in the summer leagues, he was very, very good. But this is kind of the story of how G League players or some of these G League guys end out. They're very athletic fours and fives. They can even shoot the basketball a little bit, but if there's not that opportunity, they can get stashed away for a couple years, and instead of having that chance in the NBA, they're going to be probably playing in Europe, making pretty solid money, or still kind of chasing things out in the G League, which 
any options viable, I think. Uh, but that's just kind of food for thought right there. Anyways, he closed out the 2018-19 season with the New Orleans Pelicans, only played eight games for them, but he was dominant, averaged 17 points and eight rebounds for them. He was electric around the baskets, and it was enough to the point where, in one of my dynasty leagues, actually, I picked him up just off those eight games. I was like, maybe he could be, you know, pretty good. Um, But he didn't even have a surefire deal coming out of that season. Only eight games. Marshawn Brooks was averaging like 23 points per game after that season as well. So numbers can be inflated, sure. He gets to the Detroit Pistons, and he was literally the final guy to get a contract that I'm aware of. 450 out of 450. He had to beat out a 40-year-old Joe Johnson to get that spot on the Pistons, clear-cut 15th guy on the roster, and he just continued to work. End of the season, averaged 13 points and 6 rebounds per game, 39% from distance, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't even top 3 in most improved player of the year voting that season. He might he might have been 4th, 5th, just not too many ballots had his name on it, and Over the last couple of seasons, I think that there has been more advocacy for stories like Christian Wood in terms of how this award shakes out. Like Duncan Robinson's a good example, I would say, as well. Max Struess. Just guys that come out of the woodworks from the G League level and are able to make that immediate impact. But the thing is, how are you to know which way this award gets judged on? I think it still gets judged on the first one, the Brandon Ingram route, the John Morant route, where... Yes, you could be somebody who was selected with the hopes of being a star. You're on pace to being a star, but the breakout year, that's where you get the award. That's probably how it's still going to go. I think SGA would get the ballot, but should it be changed to where you're now looking at, okay, who's actually made the biggest leap? Who has made the biggest leap in terms of positionally in the NBA? What's their ranking? 450 to now... 80th best player in the NBA, that trumps what Brandon Ingram's elevation would have been. And right now, the Christian Wood is bull bull because he really has not gotten a shot in the NBA so far. Second round pick in the 2019 draft, high expectations, looked really good in Oregon, but the Nuggets didn't really have space for him. Pistons trade for him, failed physical, he goes back to Denver, and now he's in Orlando where he's starting. And granted, the numbers aren't as good right now, but he's still averaging about 13 points and 7.5 rebounds per game, shooting 42% from distance, albeit on a low shooting clip. That is a Christian Wood-esque leap where he wasn't out of the league per se, but he was basically traded for potato chips earlier. You know, the initial trade with the Pistons, I think it was like a second round pick almost that he was uh, getting dealt out for. I think this came out as a package deal for the the Magic, so the Nuggets kind of had a bit bigger of a return, um, but it's the same thing. Like, had he been in Denver, would he be playing significant minutes? I don't think so. Now he's in Orlando, and I've seen videos where people are like, maybe he's like the same guy as Victor Webanyama. Now, do I think that's ridiculous? Yeah, I think it's ridiculous, but... Just to even get those comparisons when a year ago you couldn't even see him on the basketball court is really, really big time. And the way that I've always judged this award is actually the Christian Wood side of things. So if I had a ballot, 
I think Bol Bol would have to be there, but would I be the deciding vote? I don't think so. I think that actually in comparison to previous guys, like SGA has clearly made the biggest leap in terms of the numbers and in terms of impact he has had on this team. If he plays the whole duration of the season, they're a playing team. I think it's a no-brainer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's and it's been a special year for both of them, but that is a discussion that I would like the NBA to have just on how exactly that award would work out and... You know, depending on which way they cut that, I think that determines who I'd actually vote for. So I'm curious if you guys would vote for SGA or vote for Bull Bull. You know, I know with such a breakout, SGA is like that clear-cut option, you could say. But I do need to hold up to what I've said in the past, and, you know, that would probably lean a little bit towards Bull Bull as well. I want to round things out just talking about a few quick pointers from what we've seen in the last couple games from the Thunder, how the rotation has looked and really Darius Baisley, because uh, I think that is the big talk of the town, at least right now. And it's really the lack of him, actually. He hasn't played in the last two games despite being healthy. He has missed games earlier this year, but there were reasons for those absences. Right now, he's averaging 5.5 points and 3.9 rebounds on the season. And the big thing, the looming contract. He is going to be a restricted free agent in this offseason period. They did not extend an extension to him over the offseason. They could throw him a qualifying offer, of course. But it looks like free agency will be something he could be partaking in unless anything changes. The way it's going now, though, he's not in the active rotation. Probably going to wait and see on how his case works. But other players have started to move ahead of him. And this is something we haven't seen the last two seasons. Briefly, in December of last year, Aaron Wiggins was the starting power forward when Bays was kind of on a bit of a slump. But he regained it back in February and kind of held on to that name. Right now, though, Poku has got that power forward spot locked up. And then behind him. Guys such as Aaron Wiggins are starting to make more appearances. You're starting to see others as well kind of return to the main roster. Jalen Williams, he hasn't been able to play, but that's another guy to kind of keep your eye on as well. And Usman Jang has been somebody who's been able to slide up and down, left and right. Jalen Williams, J-Dub is also sort of in that category, and so is J-R-E. So there's just a lot of different guys on this roster This is basically the same thing that's happened in the backcourt the last two years, but now we've switched to where it's the other half of things. Guys like Ty Jerome and Teo Maladon, yeah, they hold value. There's a reason both of them are on two-way contracts right now because there's still an NBA player left in both of them. Ty can light it up from distance, very smart passer. Teo, very crafty passer. He's able to pick his spots as well offensively. And I don't think that OKC really had the best situation for how he plays. He kind of of needs to be the guy pulling the strings, and they just don't need that. They need combo guards. They need shot creators. Isaiah Joe fits the bill better than what Teo could be providing for them, at least based on archetype. So now you got the shift to where everybody's kind of moving up. Chet's going to come back next season, and the roster's getting a little bit tighter. But they're also being a little bit more successful now in terms of the direction of how these frontcourt figures are supposed to be playing. They need to be hitting threes. Poku's doing that. JRE is doing that. Aaron Wiggins, when he is playing up, is also doing that. 
So he's almost been crunched out of the roster. And he still holds value with this team. Led the team in blocks last year. He's still very good at rebounding. But right now, I think he kind of just let things ride. And I'm assuming that's what Dagnall is doing uh, when he's not, you know, applying the brakes to him not playing right now. I think it's more of just that wait and see approach. He'll get his time in due time. But he will need to make a leap when he gets another chance again because he was in a bench role when he struggled in December and reclaimed it. But now it's kind of a different type of the rotation where instead of you know being maybe that eighth man trying to climb back up, well, now you're the 10th or 11th man who might not be playing in some of these contests. OKC has a lot of young guys. They want to play them all. They want to kind of ooze out all that potential. And there's some tough cuts that have to be made with situations like that. Ideally, some of these OKC blue guys could be getting minutes as well, but it's very hard to kind of accommodate everybody. We just now got to see minutes from Eugene Omaruyi. He has been on assignment for a good portion of the season, hasn't gotten many minutes for the Thunder in a while. Same goes with Lindy Waters. But he came in, you know, posting 11 points in about 24 minutes in his lone appearance. So he's looked good. Lindy has looked good from distance. But when you are looking to win these games, the rotation does get cut back to, you know, eight, nine, ten guys. So it's a little bit more cutthroat. Where in seasons past, depending on the game situation, oftentimes you could get everybody out there and kind of get them the reps that they need. The upside to what we're seeing now, though, from a developmental perspective is the G League is just being used a lot more frequently. Last year, you didn't really have that luxury. You could have, but guys like Trey Mann were playing so well, JRE was playing so well, that they were getting minutes with the main squad. Even two seasons ago, Teo Maladone's a good example. He was supposed to go to the G League, played so well he didn't do that. Um, But now, you do have that roster crunch, and you want to let guys have the keys. Uzman Jang in particular. I said this during Summer League. I said it probably even when he got drafted. But the fit is interesting when he's not able to shoot the ball at a high level. Because he does a lot of the same things Josh Giddy does. Uzman's a great defender. Great finisher. But he needs the basketball in his, in his hands to be the best. And he needs to be at the top of the key. You put him in the corner. You put him in an off-ball role. There's going to be that learning curve. And he dealt with that during the summer league. When Giddy did not play, you saw a completely different version of Jang on the court. And you saw that lottery prospect that everybody was just going bonkers about. The way he's played in the G League, he has looked every bit of that prospect. He just had 24 points in his last game for the Blue. On this season, he's averaging 15.4 points, 8.3 rebounds, and just about 4 assists. Shooting 36% from distance and 82% from the free throw line. I don't know what Chip England is doing, but he is doing an excellent job. Whatever the regimen might be for him. He has lit it up from all three levels. And he has made the case to be in the rotation with the Thunder right now. He has been dabbling in it. Mark Dagnall is testing the waters with him. And he's been able to stand up to the test. He's shooting well from downtown just as he is in the G League. And that's why guys like Bays have been getting pushed out. Just slowly but surely. Jalen Williams, he hasn't had as many chances as Jang at the NBA level, but he's still doing well with the blue. 
13.8 points for him, 9.4 rebounds, and a team-high 6 assists per game. The Blue play a lot different than they did last year. I think a lot of it should be attributed to J-Will being the starting center instead of DJ Wilson. When Wilson was there, it was a lot of just dumping it down in the low block, letting him work, give it to him at the free throw line off a screen, and he's just going to pop it right there. Now they're a bit more meticulous about things. You're starting to see Jay will kind of, you know, get more used to feel of things. First couple games, he was having foul troubles. Not as much there anymore. But the game's looking a lot easier to him. So he has improved drastically, I'd say, from what we saw in Summer League and the beginning of the season. How about the two-way guys, though? Eugene, averaging 18 points, 4.3 rebounds, and .5 assists per game. 15.4% from three. So that's not great, (laughs) needless to say, but he's done a good job attacking the basket. And that is a really good build for what the Thunder have at like the two and three. Lou Dort is another linebacker type player where a lot of his stripes offensively were earned off of slashing inside, and then it worked his way out to the three-point line. Hustle on defense. Eugene hustles a lot. On offense, he hustles for the loose ball. He hustles to try to get a layup around the basket. So even if he's not shooting well from three, I'm still very high on him as a player. And then for Lindy, he has not been used much with the blue um, just because of assignments. But he's shooting 39% from distance and averaging about 14 points per game. So he has lived up to what he has been needed for. OKC uses their two-way contracts in an interesting way. I mean... I think most teams have not swapped the deck on two-way players this year, um, which is, you know, a a good thing. That means that everybody's doing their job on those two-way contracts. OKC, for the last two years, though, they are prioritized getting shooters with those two-way deals, and Lindy has been the guy. Paul Watson really wasn't doing it for them last year, so that's why they moved Lindy in, and he has been able to, you know, kind of get exactly what OKC needs. Just check the box on one, two things. That's what is needed for those back-end rotation guys. And that's why a guy like Matt Ryan even just got waived by the Lakers, got swooped up by the T-Wolves almost immediately on a two-way contract because shooting is so vital to the importance of the game now. You need to surround your stars with shooters that are apt to shoot four or five times in the corner and you know make two or three of those if they're uncontested. So Lindy's done great. Eugene has done great. I'm really big on the G League. (laughs) I know you guys know that. But man, there's so much talent. Some of them aren't even on two-way contracts. Makes you think, you know, what happens if you try to move guys in and out. But they don't really have a need to right now. And even outside of the two-way contract players, OKC has been breeding guys that could be going elsewhere on two-way deals. Jemias Ramsey and DJ Wilson are the two that stick out to me as of right now. But they have a, you know an interesting remainder of the season on tap. This isn't officially the regular season in the G League yet. They have four more games until the Winter Showcase Cup. Last year, they were, they were runners-up and barely, barely lost. This time around, I don't think they're going to qualify, but they should still have two games there and That's going to be the main event of the G League season. Go watch some games over in Vegas. 
catch that action. There should be a lot of scouts and GMs in attendance, and that is where you can really make your money's worth. That is where guys like Xavier Simpson and Rob Edwards were able to carve out deals. Simpson actually got offered a 10-day deal that December, had COVID, got axed. Melvin Frazier, 10-day deal, got axed off COVID. But guys like Scotty Hobson, Rob Edwards, as I mentioned, and DJ Wilson were able to take those deals and run with them. So I'm going to be talking about the Winter Showcase Cup in time. Also want to talk about this Thunder team and how they have played as of late in the next episode as well. But that's going to do it for today's episode, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.